Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me another episode. We are not live uh, for this evening's program. I intended to go live, but uh, we are finally getting some winter weather and we've been creamed with some snow and uh, roads are horrible right now. Definitely did not want to be out late and driving in the dark in the, in these conditions. So we decided to do an early pre-recording, but I appreciate everyone uh, who is watching the premiere of this video. And I am excited to be joined once again with brother Paul Wittenberger. And uh, he's going to give us some updates about the upcoming temple documentary. But then uh, one of the things that I want to do in this uh, particular podcast today is I just want to talk about some of the first off the prophetic significance that the things of the old covenant did have that were fulfilled and that all pointed to Christ um, that hopefully that some of that will be revealed through this documentary uh, I want to talk a little bit about why the temple went away and I want to discuss too um, the things that have been fulfilled that in the dispensational world uh, people are still demanding God must fulfill and I think that is uh, a huge doctrinal error and I think the uh, destruction of the temple I think the fact that it is a city lost is uh, I believe all of that was for a reason and I think there's uh, scripture that can back that up and these are teachings that the Bible has that I'm afraid many Christians just they're not familiar with and don't know about. And so hope, I'm really hoping and praying this documentary will help kind of shed some light on these subjects. But anyway, it is good to have Brother Paul. So Brother Paul, uh, what what are some updates? Any new news on the documentary? Well, the documentary is moving ahead pretty quickly now. I have a lot of the film edited. I would say more than half of the film edited at this point. And uh, a pretty good edit as well. So it's not just uh, edited, but it's, 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 it's looking pretty good. I, I think I sent you like hour and 10 minutes, uh, I mean 110 minutes so far of the edit. Now this edit will be trimmed down probably a little bit towards the end, but not much. So we're trying to figure out right now what to do because it is a little long. Um, usually I like to keep my documentaries around 90 minutes. I, I really don't like to go over that. Uh, so I'm not sure what to do because it's going to be, you know, like I said, 110 minutes I sent to you and we still have to edit the beginning, the ending, and there's a whole nother scene that we still have to edit as well. So three more pretty big scenes that we have to include in this. So the, the film is going to be a little longer. So we're kind of uh, trying to figure out right now whether we're going to make this a uh, three-part series or we're just going to release it all as one documentary. So we're still trying to figure that out and I'd uh, love to hear your guys' opinion on that. But if we did release it in parts, we would release it all together. So we wouldn't release it until they're all done. Uh, we wouldn't put out one part at a time because it's important to get all the information out at once. And so, uh, yeah, so it's coming along great. I just got to get it done at this point and if you can support the film we definitely need more supporters uh to uh to finance all the stock footage and music and voiceover that we have to record there's still a ton left to do so if you can support us make sure to head over to our website framingtheworld.com and support us but yeah it's looking fantastic yeah yeah, it is coming together really good. And there is, there's so much information there. And so, you know, when I'm watching all this, you know, part of me is like, man, you don't want anything cut out because you know, there's going to be people that are going to, you know, dissenting opinions out there. And so you want all that information, you know, you want just all this proof. And, but uh, at the same time too, you, you don't want to, you got to keep people engaged too. And you can bog them down with, too much information, but, but either way, you know, I think it's going to be exciting too. just, um, you know, cause not only is this about the temple location, but, uh, what in reality to me, as this video is coming together, the, I think the bigger bombshell of this, because many people know about the temple, you know, Mount dispute, they know a lot of people know about that. And a lot of people have very, uh, strong opinions that are already on our side on that, but 
to me, the big revelation we went over there was how this changes things in regards to the crucifixion location, which we talked about that on a previous program. But I think that's going to be new news for a lot of people, this crucifixion location. And, you know, since that's kind of been revealed to me, it's really got me looking at more aspects of things in the Old Testament uh, with those sacrifices. And I'm seeing more and more the things that those sacrifices spoke of, you know, which was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so, um, I, you know, I think as new Testament Christians, we've just taken a lot of these things for granted. I mean, I'm glad we're not under the old covenant, but the old covenant was given to teach people about Christ to help them recognize the Messiah. And I think it is important to go back and look at these things and show how they pointed to Christ. And I think the fact that there's so much about the location uh, of the temple, you know, the direction it pointed, all these different things, you know, we, we've often just kind of glossed over that stuff. And I think we've missed a lot as a result. Right. Yeah. I mean, the whole Old Testament is a picture of Jesus and especially the sacrifices. I mean, if you look at the red heifer sacrifice, you know, without spot, without blemish, it's it's a perfect representation of of Christ and you know burnt with fire and so um, when we look at these sacrifices it is that picture which I think most people agree with uh, so where we go in this film is we actually show that Jesus was crucified in that perfect picture of the the, the sacrifices and which we can we can get into yeah yeah and I want to get into some scriptures in a little bit but one of the things too that you know, and, and you and I both, we have been on a mission for a long time, you know, and teaching the truth about, about end times, about Israel. You know, I mean, I mean, how many years has it been since you put out Marching to Zion? That, that was. Yeah, at least I think 2015. Um, I think I think it was 2015. Yeah. And and so Marching to Zion to me was a it was very very helpful. Uh, but you know, the reality is there are so many ways to prove what we believe about Israel. There's, there's many different ways I'm learning that we can present these same truths. And I think that, um, I'm noticing too, different ways are, or different aspects of it are often helpful to some people because everybody has different hangups. And so while I felt like marching to Zion, it showed a lot of the truth about the chosen people and, you know, and who Israel is, um, you know, there are, there are many other avenues that one can take to help people understand the truth about Israel, who we are as the people of God. And so, um, I think certain elements that, of doctrine that people are going to learn from this documentary are going to help with that too. Again, this isn't just about archeology span and about where, something took place. I think there's doctrinal significance that people can learn from this, but one of the, so uh, one of the things that I like to question people, cause I get challenged all the time. I have people that call me about these things. I've, I've done debates on these things. And so I'm always learning new ways to kind of get people looking in the right way. But something I've been, I've been kind of pushing recently that I think has been effective too, that I think people need to understand about all this. And that is first off, you know, people, they're still obsessed with the land. Christians are obsessed with the land. It belongs to the Jews because God gave it to Abraham, right? But here's, here's a question we need to ask these people. Why did Abraham need a land? Okay. And I think it's obvious because a nation needs a land, right? God was going to raise up a great nation from Abraham. But also, why was it important for a nation to come from Abraham. Why is that important to all the world? Well, it was important because the promised seed was going to come from him. And the promise of a seed didn't originate with Abraham. It originated with Eve in the Garden of Eden. But we see it narrowed down to Abraham. That's where that seed's going to come from. So the other question is, why was a seed needed? Well, it was needed to redeem man and to restore the fellowship with God that was lost 
in Eden at the fall of man. And there was also a need to escape God's wrath and judgment. So that's why that seed needs to come. So then a question I think we all know the answer to, even in the dispensation world, is why was the law given? Well, Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And so the law taught us about God's righteousness and it taught us about our sinful condition. And so before I get into the next part about why this is important, um, uh, you know, I do, I do think it would be good for us to spend a little bit of time um, talking about some of the uh, biblical things that you're uh, planning on pointing out in this documentary uh, about the temple, because these are just, these are big reminders that everything about the temple was literally pointing to Christ. In fact, it's when you just think about the fact, everybody agrees too the temple faced eastward. And when you think about the consideration that directly east of the temple, before the temple, without the gate, you know, if that's the spot where Christ was crucified, I mean, the temple literally, physically was pointing to Jesus Christ. You know, not even just metaphorically which it, and symbolically, but it literally was doing that too. And I think that's important. So, um, you want to share some of these scriptures and things I know you had uh, on the screen and talk about, about showing how diff the different things that were east of the temple. Yeah, I, I, I really do encourage people, if you haven't yet seen our past live stream on these issues, make sure you check out uh, the last one we did. We'll put a link in the description of this video where you can watch that one, where we really go through how... Uh, Jesus was uh, crucified east of the temple. And we show that the Roman centurion saw those things. So when, the when Jesus died, the centurion saw where Jesus was crucified. And we go through all that, those details and show and prove that that is the fact. So if the centurion or if Jesus died east of the temple, then you know, why is this important? Why does it matter where Jesus was crucified? Well, one reason why it matters is because the two main locations in Jerusalem that people claim that Jesus was crucified is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and Gordon's Calvary. Both of those are west of the, the, um, of the temple. And so uh, those two sites cannot be the location. And if Jesus was crucified, if he was crucified east of the temple, well, that changes where we look. And so this documentary tries first to show, one, the temple was not on the Temple Mount. And, uh, and so if it wasn't on the Temple Mount, that also changes where Jesus was crucified. So, which is super interesting. Again, why is this important that Jesus was crucified east of the temple? Well, every sacrifice in the Old Testament which was a picture of Jesus, was east of the temple. The Bible goes through specifics where it lays out that if you were to sacrifice an animal, that would be in front of the temple or east of the temple, which when you start putting these things together, it's like, wow, that's super, super interesting. And so um, we talk about that in that past episode. So make sure to check that out. But I think... What's also interesting is, okay, well, let's say Jesus was crucified east of the temple. What does that represent? Well, it represents that Jesus was that perfect symbol of those, of that lamb, of that spotless lamb. You know, when Jesus was tried, he was tried and convicted east of the temple. Just like when in the Old Testament, when they brought a person that was going to be tried, they would bring him in front of the sanctuary and try him. Korah, the Levites, and stuff like that uh, is an example. And so all these things are talked about in this new movie. And I would love to go through these verses where it really show, shows you what happened on the day of Christ's crucifixion. Because you have to, you have to think, what, what did really happen on the day of Christ's crucifixion? How did it all play out? And uh, 
I don't know if you want to go through that now or if you have a point you want to make on on what I just talked about, Pastor. So let's talk a little bit about what really happened on the day of Jesus' death. Because if Jesus was a perfect picture of the sacrificial system, he needed to be tried and convicted uh, legally in order to fulfill all the laws and types of the Old Testament. And all of those things, they meant something. I mean, up to the point where uh, Jesus literally said, I thirst. And he did that because he has to fulfill everything. And one of the prophecies was about the drinking of vinegar. And so he literally, before he gave up the ghost, he said, I thirst. All these things matter to God. And so while we often overlook these things, uh, God didn't. And so these are very profound. They are theologically important. Christ literally, you know, he was, he was the sacrifice for sin. Um, you know, sacrifices and offerings for sin, thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared. So the body of Jesus was sent to be that sacrifice. All those things before were a picture of the true one that's to come. So uh, we, you have the arrest in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus, he's arrested about midnight by the Romans and Jewish soldiers. And then he's handed over to the chief priests, uh, Annas. after this, there's for, uh, no further mention of the Roman soldiers until after he was convicted by the Sanhedrin. And a lot of this stuff too, you can kind of get from historical sources where they explain a lot, uh, how a lot of these things worked. Not all of it's spelled out in the scripture. But after the preliminary examination, Annas handed Jesus over to Caiaphas, the high priest. We see that in John 18, 12 through 18, who lived in the same courtyard. Um, and uh, then a large number of the Sanhedrin began to arrive at the residence of Caiaphas. And they began to question Jesus about his unlawful activities. But when it became daylight, they immediately moved the interrogation to the council. Uh, which was a building where the trials and judgments were held. And this was done because according to the Talmud, uh, a death could only be legal if they were questioned during the daytime. You know, and so again, a lot of these extra biblical sources, um, are they legit? I, I don't know. To me, uh, if they line up with the scripture, I tend to give them credibility. If they discredit it, I don't. But either way, uh, just kind of interesting things. Uh, because we do see all these things taking place. There are often references into the gospel to customs and traditions and things they had. So that they really had these things. Uh, but the Roman soldiers said they weren't, uh, they were no longer mentioned because they were forbidden to enter the temple during festival periods. So the high priest Caiaphas would have been required to stay within the temple and near the holy place for seven days during the festival seasons. And he would have been in his temple house and this is kind of an interesting side note too over in the city of david today they have a place called caiaphas's house where they believe the trial of jesus was and it is in very close relation to where we believe the temple would have been and it's very far from where they believe the temple was but um i've just been preaching through nehemiah and you can see it's it's not just mentioned in his history and the talmud and josephus but it is specified in the Bible when they were rebuilding the walls of the temple in Nehemiah, we do see them, it mentioned too, how they started building houses within those walls on dwelling places for the priests and Levites. They lived within the confines of that uh, temple area. And so proof that interrogation took place within the temple complex not and often too in the bible when it refers to the temple is you know you have the temple building that we're all used to seeing but within the walls of the temple you had different courts and different areas uh there was one the inner court that only the you know the priest could go into but then you had your outer courts and areas where many other things would take place and so all of that was kind of special to the jews it was all kind of part of the temple complex uh, while it wasn't directly the temple building itself. So you have to keep all that in mind when reading the scriptures. For example, even today on the Temple Mount area, the Muslims call it, they call all of it Al-Aqsa. So you have the Al-Aqsa compound that is that entire area where you have the Dome of the Rock. But then off to the left, if you're looking uh, from the Mount of Olives, 
you have the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so it was kind of the same thing uh, back in that day. You had the temple building, but you had the a large temple complex that was all part of that. And Jesus was, uh, you know, tried all these things kind of took place within that temple complex. And so the sentence of the Sanhedrin did not end the matter. The Roman authorities still had to be consulted. And so it was now necessary to take Jesus to Pilate for his approval. So they took him to the Roman Imperial Praetorium at Fort Antonia. And so, uh, and in John 18, 28, the Jews didn't want to enter. And so then they, the, uh, led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment. And it was early and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. So if any Jew were to go into the Gentile city, uh, called the Antonia, then they would have been unclean for at least the seven days. And so Pilate lived in Fort Antonio, but it wasn't in his main house. Then this can be inferred because in Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife sent him a message about a dream she had. And Pilate clearly was away from his living quarters at the time, or she wouldn't have had to send him the message. And also a Roman commander would have been unwise to be anywhere other than Antonio believing, uh, you know, because of the festivals that were going on. So, Jesus wasn't convicted for breaking Roman law. You know, the trial, sentence, execution were according to Jewish law. Pilate washed his hands, said, I find no fault in this man. And he basically said, you know, do therefore according to your law. Because the Jews, they didn't have the legal authority to put anyone to death under Roman law. But then basically, Pilate authorizes them to do things according to their law. And so they went and then they basically unknowingly offered up a sacrifice, uh, the one-time sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, Jesus Christ. And they took Jesus outside the temple. And, uh, and, I, and I think it's very obvious that they would have went east, which is where uh, there are some specific sacrifices, the scapegoat sacrifice that was something that they would take um let's see i've got a bunch of notes here see if i can find the spot so for example numbers 19 2 says this is the ordinance of the law which the lord commanded saying speak unto the children of israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot wherein is no blemish and upon never came a yoke and ye shall give her unto elias the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp and one day shall slay her before his face and Eliezer the priest shall take the blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. So to be before the house of the Lord, before the tabernacle, you know, you've got to be the direction it's facing. And it was facing east. And here it is specified to, to take it without the camp. So they were to go through that eastern gate outside, outside of the camp. That's interesting too, because in Hebrews 13, 10 says, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Now the main altar of the tabernacle, it was, it was within the inner court of the tab uh, of the temple complex, uh, where the priests would go and they would offer that sacrifice. And that was directly East. That was right outside the East entrance. So that particular altar that the writer here is referring to, it was one that, I mean, it would be an abomination to bring a Gentile to that altar. Those sacrifices that they had, they were, they were kind of a very special thing just for the Jews and people like you and I, we wouldn't have been allowed to go anywhere near there. But here, the writer of Hebrews is telling these Jews that we have an altar that they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. So while they're excluding us from their altar, well, we've got an altar that's even better that they have no right to. And he says, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So right here, it's showing that better sacrifice. It was like the sacrifice that they used to take where they would take those beasts and they would take it without the camp. And that was east of the temple. 
And he and he's saying here, we're not worried about the altar that's within the camp that is within that temple complex. He's saying, let's go without the camp and let's follow Christ without the camp bearing his reproach. And Jesus literally, when he went after his trial, he carried his cross and he went east of the temple and he died out there. Numbers 5, 16 um, or uh, Leviticus 16 and verse 20. It says, and when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation in the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgression and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. So what do you all think that symbolizes? Where they're putting all the sins of Israel on the head of the goat. And then it says, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And notice too, when Jesus was uh, sent and he's carrying his cross, there was Simon the Cyrene that had to help him carry that cross and carry that scapegoat into the wilderness outside the camp. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go into the wilderness. And then verse 27, and the bullock for a sin offering and a goat for a sin offering whose blood was brought to make atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. So right there, everybody's familiar with that scapegoat offering, but they would, they would literally put all the sin on that goat, have a fit man carry it without the camp. It would go before the temple, before the house of the Lord, east of there, out into the wilderness. And then, uh, you know, and then that's where it would be burned. And so, I mean, doesn't it make sense that if all of these things were pointing to Christ, that Jesus would literally go east of the temple like that to fulfill all the things of the law and the sacrifices. They literally were doing the scapegoat sacrifice, but with Jesus Christ, I mean, all that stuff I think is just, it's, it's fat, it's fascinating stuff and things too, that I hope, I hope this documentary will get more people looking at things in that way and studying it that way. And it is, it's a beautiful picture, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect picture. And, and, you know, when, when you were talking about that, I just got so excited because it's, it's such an awesome thing to realize that it was a perfect picture and and i you know i think you know most christians growing up they they realize that these are symbols of those things uh but it becomes really real once you put these things together and i don't think most christians even think about these concepts one because no one everyone believes that christ was uh crucified northwest of the temple and so obviously this is not coming into their mind, but you know, when you think of it, it is super interesting. And I, I know you, you kind of went over uh, the specifics of how Christ was crucified, but I know it, it also can be kind of confusing for some people to understand all these sayings. And so I, if, if it's all right, pastor, I just want to go through that, that one more time and just kind of break it down for people. Yeah. See, when Jesus was crucified, it all starts at the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was originally arrested, he was arrested by both Roman soldiers and Jewish soldiers. And and so um, and, and the Bible makes a point of that. It says in the band of the captain, the officers took Jesus and bound him and they led him to Ananias. And so once Jesus was arrested that is the last time we hear anything about the roman soldiers until we get back to Pilate at the the end of the story so when the romans arrested jesus with the um chief priests so ananias was one step below the high priest so they took him to ananias's house which i believe was in the temple and there they interrogated him over his sins and uh, crimes and so 
when that was done, it was all night long. So he was arrested at midnight and they took him to Ananias' house right at midnight. So it was the middle of the night. They, they, they questioned him all night long. And the Bible says, and as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests of the scribes came together and led him to their council. So it wasn't until daytime that they actually took him to their council. And why this is important is because when the chief priest is having that Passover, he has to be in the temple for seven days. And Leviticus actually goes through this and explains that during the Passover, the priest has to be in the temple tabernacle and and here we got in leviticus 9 or 8 31 it says and moses said unto aaron and to his sons boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and there you shall eat it with bread burn with fire and ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation for seven days for seven days shall he consecrate you Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night, seven days, and to keep charge of the Lord that you die not, for so I am commanded. So it, it was a serious thing that God made a point of it that when you were to try a criminal and you were to um, do it right east of the temple. And we know that the, the high priest was in the temple because... Of that proof right there that is one of the the proofs that is pretty clear that his house would have been in the temple now that wasn't his main house i'm sure he had another house that was used on other days and in in mark we get another interesting verse that basically shows that it was in the temple so the questioning was in the temple uh, the interrogation was in the temple, and it says right here, and this is someone trying to accuse Christ. It says, I will destroy this temple. He's saying what he heard Jesus say. He said, I will destroy this temple that I has made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. Notice how he says this temple. So when Christ was interrogated, the the, the guy said, well, Christ said he would destroy this temple, meaning that it is there in the temple. He would have said the temple if they weren't in it. He's saying this temple, meaning, you know, we're in this temple when we're doing this. And uh, so that is super interesting and I think a great proof. And after that, it said, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the Hall of Judgment. So after he was basically convicted by the high priest of these crimes that he did. They're like, all right, we're done. Then they led Jesus to Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. Now, where is the hall of judgment? Well, we don't know, but we can assume a few things. It says, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. So the Jews, wherever this judgment hall was, the Jews weren't allowed to go in there. It says, well, I mean, they could have went in there, but then they would have been unclean. So it, notice how it says, and they themselves were not in, into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, and that they might eat, but that they might eat the Passover. So notice how when they took him to this judgment hall, it was uh, a place where more likely the Romans were, because we know that they were bringing him to Pilate. Pilate was not at his main home he was at a place where his wife had to send him a message and so uh these are just little clues that the bible gives us that kind of you know tells a story a greater story that when christ was taken to Pilate, i believe it was at fort antonio which would have been a place where the jews were not allowed to go i mean if you think about it it's it's a fortress and in this fortress, there are dead bodies because, uh, you know, the Roman soldiers, if they were killed, they would have been put into the, the awaiting so they could take them back to Rome. And all these saints would have defiled a high priest. And so they wouldn't have taken them to those saints. So I, I think that is a, a great, 
a great proof. And notice how it said in Pilate's, uh, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. So uh, when Christ was crucified, he wasn't crucified because of the Romans. The Romans right here, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And then Jesus said, I mean, and then he washed his hands. He said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. Then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and our children. So clearly the Jews were the ones that ultimately tried him at the temple, east of the temple. And, uh, and then he was crucified right after that, east of the temple, which is very interesting. And I know a lot of people, this went right over a lot of people's heads. We're going to explain this all in the documentary in a much more clear way that you'll be able to comprehend what we're talking about. But it is an amazing picture, and it all is in that perfect alignment with the 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 sacrifice who is the ultimate blood sacrifice for our sins yeah well and the i think the reason uh too that maybe this goes over people's heads again we don't we don't think in the way they did back then but all these things were all specified in the gospels these details are given for a reason and, you know, these aren't details you have to understand in order to be saved, you know, as far as all these symbolic things. But it, it uh, but they were significant if you were somebody who was under that old covenant system and you had been doing those things for, you know, you know 2,000 years. It, it was important for them to see all these fulfillments. And so these details that are in the scriptures are there for a reason. And what, to me, why this is interesting is what we're being told today about the geographical locations. A lot of details are ignored because the details, uh, they don't support the narrative of today. And so when a person goes and starts actually paying close attention to what the Bible says, then all of a sudden you're like, things aren't adding up, you know, like for example, when I went to Israel back in 2000, um, we didn't even go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre because they were like, that's not the location. It can't be the location because the Bible says Jesus was taken without the gate. Well, so they paid attention to that fact. You know, the, the problem is, you know, a couple problems is, is while the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is within the walls of Jerusalem today, those walls weren't there 2000 years ago. So it's so either way, that's at that point, uh, it's kind of, that's kind of a moot point, but at the same time, to me, the clearer evidence is, you know, the, all the facts that show things took place east of the temple, but people are conveniently ignoring those facts because that doesn't support Gordon's Calvary either, you know? So, um, just lost some of my lights for some reason. So it, I, so the thing is. I think it's important that we look at all these things because these things all did. They all, they all pointed us to Christ and the Bible put them in there for a reason. And, and so people who have like an archeological mindset, they do pay attention to these details. And so, um, I, I did want to show this one image here. Uh, it's like a model of the temple. And so you understand what we're talking about. So a lot of times when we talk about the temple, People will think of just that that main part there kind of in the center. That's where the priest would go, uh, you know, where you had the Holy of Holies and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, but notice those walls um, that kind of surround there, the inner walls. Um, only like the, the priests and the, you know, the main Levites would go in there. There was an altar in front of there. But this big outer core area. This is kind of like a city within a city this, you know, they, and they probably had many different places. And this is, it's somewhere in these areas where Jesus would have been tried. Um, there were large gatherings that would happen out here. A lot of things would take place in this area. And then there down at the bottom, you kind of have that Eastern gate. And that's probably where Jesus would have been taken out uh, and, and carried his cross um, out of that gate. So within those walls too, were all kinds of dwelling places where, you know, the priest would have dwelt, the high priest would have had a place. And so sometimes when you're in the Bible and it's talking about him being in the temple, it's just within that complex. It wasn't him 
going directly inside the temple. In fact, I don't even know for sure if we ever see Jesus going inside the actual temple building, you know, and into the, the most holy place. I don't know if we ever see that in the scriptures because he wouldn't have been allowed to under the law because he wasn't a Levite. And we even see in Nehemiah when they were building the walls and he was being threatened, um, people were encouraging him to hold up and hide in the temple, but he wasn't willing to, you know, he's, you know, he was like, God can protect me. He didn't want to defile the temple by going in there because, you know, he hadn't been cleansed. Uh, he wasn't, a, uh, you know, he wasn't a priest. So, uh, all of these things are just interesting little facts, but either way, the more you study them, the more we, you just see all the things that pointed to Jesus Christ. And so to me, if anybody gets anything out of this live stream, if they get anything from the documentary, you know, doctrinally speaking, uh, I do want to point these verses out to you. And this is why we're talking about all this stuff. But in Hebrews nine in verse one, it says, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary for there was a tabernacle. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded in the tables of the covenant and over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing. So while these things were teaching something, while that first tabernacle was there, there was something that was not yet manifest. And that is in, in chapter 10, it says for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year, continually make their comers thereunto perfect. Or, and, and when it says perfect, we're not even referring necessarily to like a sinless perfection, but complete. What it's saying, the things of that temple could never be finished. They could never be completed. They would have to continue to be offered. He says in verse two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance made uh, again, made of sins every year. And so this is why we see prophecies in the Old Testament about like Ezekiel's temple, for example, that many people believe are still to come. And also, this is why we see in many places, I'll just hit a couple of them. There are many places in, in the Old Testament where it talks about things being forever. Exodus 12, 14. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse 17. That's talking about the Passover. In verse 17, Feast of Unleavened Bread that was connected to the Passover. It says, Ye shall therefore observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Exodus 12, 24. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And I could go on and on reading all these things that God gave to the Levites and God gave to Israel and the instructions were to do those things forever. Now, I dare somebody to challenge me on this, but remember, God gave Israel the law. The law included the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the rules for the Levites, all these things. Okay. Israel violated the law. No, and no one, we all would agree, no one is saved, can be saved, ever was saved by the law. So when God gave the land to Israel, when God gave them Jerusalem and the temple and all these ordinances, these things were all under the law. 
under the law, you've got to have the land. You've got to have the temple. You've got to have the sacrifices. You have to have the Levites forever. Under the law, we have to have all of those things forever because they can never make anyone perfect or complete. They must continue forever. And so we see God gave them all these things under the law forever. But Israel violated the law. Within the law, there's two potential outcomes, a blessing and a curse. God said over and over again, I set before you this day, a blessing and a curse, a blessing if, you know, and if you obey all the things, that's including the things of the law, that's including the things of the Levites. But then there's a curse if you don't do these things. So when Jesus Christ came and he offered up himself as a one-time sacrifice, and that's what Hebrews 9 and 10 is all about. One sacrifice finished everything. And all of those things in the law ultimately were pointing people to Jesus Christ. It was to teach them about how sinful they were and about how holy God was. And Jesus Christ revealed that in a more clear way through his death, burial, and resurrection, through the gospel. And so Jesus finished, accomplished everything one time. So now here's my question. Why do we need a land anymore? Why do we need a temple anymore? Why do we need a Levitical priest anymore? When Jesus, be like, well, God's got to keep his promise to Israel. Well, didn't he keep his promise to Israel? Because those promises weren't just about having geography, but it was about having the things necessary to have a relationship with God. God wanted to dwell in the midst of those people. And so God showed them how it had to be done. And it was done through the things of the law and the tabernacle and the priests. So now that Jesus Christ came and made sacrifice for sins permanently, it removed the need for a temple. It removed the need for a land. And God can fulfill all the promises wherever we are in the world. We don't have to be in Jerusalem. We don't have to be in Israel. We don't have to have a Levitical priest. We have all of these things. Instead of God providing a land and a temple and all these things where we got to continue this stuff forever, Jesus said, drink the water that I give you and you'll never thirst again. You know, eat the bread that I give you and you'll never hunger again. So one of the reasons people are demanding God must go back to the the thing, you know, the Old Testament economy is because they're rejecting or they don't understand what Christ accomplished on the cross and what he fulfilled. And so the fact that after Jesus did all these things, you had the Jews rebel and they rejected the Holy Spirit and, and through the rejection of the preaching of the apostles at Pentecost and other times. And they held on to the things of the temple. And so it makes sense that Jesus would remove all, remove those things. And I believe he did it because, you know, th th those things were a stumbling block to the Jews. And I think he had, he had this, the temple destroyed for reason. And I think he had it lost for a reason. I think God wanted it to go away so it would cease being a stumbling block. So, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. The The temple was destroyed just as Jesus prophesied because those things don't matter. Jesus fulfilled all those things, and so they don't matter. And so, a, a temple and sacrifices, those are a reminder of sins, you know? And Jesus Christ, he, he removed those things. And so, you know... I, I don't think we'll ever know exactly where all these things took place. One, because it doesn't really matter. I just, I don't think God wants us to know. God, God has removed our sins as far as the East is from the West. And all we need to remember is Jesus Christ and what he did. And, and, and we don't remember it by having him crucified again and doing those things again. You know, we just, you know, we look and live. We we believe on his work and what he did. You know, we look to the scriptures of what it, at what it says. And so that, that finality of that, you know, I, I think people are missing the, um, 
doctrinal significance of what Jesus did on the cross. Obviously, he cleansed us from our sins. And we understand that in the simplest way. And thankfully, we only have to have a childlike understanding to get all that. But if you want to have a deeper understanding, we start learning how it was the removing of all of the things of the law and of the temple. And, and people in the name of theology and dispensationalism and all this other stuff are acting like there's going to be a need for a temple again. And I personally think any rebuilding of a temple would just be an absolute abomination. Right. And, you know, I encourage people that are listening to this that are maybe a little confused or they want to know more information, study these things. I'm sure that there's a lot more proof than even I'm laying out that we don't even know about and um, we haven't thought about. So, you know, if you guys are listening to this, you have any thoughts, make sure to contact us. Let us know your thoughts on these these topics. But I really encourage people to study the Bible themselves and, uh, you know, search out these things because the Bible is is super interesting once you start comparing Scripture with Scripture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there are, there's, I mean, I am far, so far from an expert in knowing everything I probably even should know on the significance of all the things of the temple and, and what it pointed to. And, um, and, and again, you don't, you don't have to know all these things to be an effective soul winner. You know, the, uh, the death, bear, the, the gospels, the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. That is how God chose to reveal our sin and his righteousness in these last days. And it is so much better than what the things of the temple uh, pointed to, because again, look at how much, uh, better things were and how many, how much more people got saved, you know, after the death, burial and resurrection of Christ, you know, we see salvation spread throughout the whole world. We have Christians all over this, this world today. And it's because, you know, the, um, that revelation that God gave us, you know, with the life of Jesus Christ and his death, burial and resurrection, it was a huge deal, you know, this, and it was something but it was something that was prophesied that was to come. And it was something that was glorious. And often, I think we are missing the glory of what was revealed to us and, uh, and the glory of the gospel. It, because of the fact, too, we're kind of like the Jews and we're still, you know, focused on some physical manifestation in the future. And the reality is, we're all probably more wrong than we are right on about what we think is to come, you know, at the return of Christ and the new heaven and the earth, the millennium, whatever. We're probably all more wrong than we are right. But the, the simple fact is what we have now in just an ability to one, be saved, to be permanently saved, to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to be able to do the work and the service of the Lord it is a, it is a glorious thing. And I, I think too, uh, and I've, I've done my very best and I, I, I don't know that it's possible to fully, you know, cover the glory of this, but I don't think most Christians even understand significant, the significance of our ability to be a soul winner and what that, uh, what that means. Because when you study the law and you read what all that went into just being able to do the service of God as a Levite. It was an overwhelming thing, but God did it that way because he was trying to show the, the holiness of God and the importance and, and the, and the holiness of all these things. And so the fact that we can just at any time without doing a bunch of ritualistic stuff, we can pick up our Bible and we could go out and start witnessing to people and get them eternally saved. That's, that's a big deal. And, um, I'm, I'm afraid our lack of study of these things has caused us to take a lot of truly wonderful 
glorious things for granted. And we're, we're so focused on a glorified body in the future and, and all these things that I believe are to come that we're neglecting something just that is truly fantastic and truly wonderful that we have right now. And, and so, um, I, I, I do, I encourage everyone to study these things. I don't think they're things we should be divisive with, go fighting with people over. And, you know, you can, you can always take stuff and get weird with it, but the more I study it, the more I'm just overwhelmed at what a privilege we have. Um, and what a blessing it is to have the ability to serve God in the way we do, because it is a, it is a truly glorious thing. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Awesome stream, man. I, I, I just appreciate you helping me spread the word about this new film. I think it's, it's, it's going to be the best film I've ever made. I mean, the quality is fantastic. I'd love to hear real quick at the end of this, just what your thoughts are on what you saw that out the hour and 10 minutes that I sent you. Yeah. So I, I love the, I love the information, you know, it, cause I'm fascinated with all this stuff. Uh, but I did, I, I loved the visuals too. I love seeing those places. I'm just, I'm fascinated with the location, the places over there. I really enjoyed too, um, some of the stuff that I hadn't seen uh, about what, just what it looked like. Some of those old pictures and videos of what Jerusalem used to look like. Um, it, it was, it was, it, um, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, I, I really enjoy Robert Cornuke. I think he is very interesting. You know, he uh, he is very easy to listen to. He's a fascinating guy. He he knows what he's doing. Um, I I'm constantly amazed at like the stuff he notices from scripture that I've just never even thought of because he's always kind of thinking with that archaeological or like a police investigator mindset of trying to recreate a scene in a situation and so uh when you listen to him point these things out it's just like man you know there, there there's so many details we miss because we're not thinking about it and the and when i was watching this last time you know i it, it just kind of hit me like pastors we read our bible always looking for a sermon that's kind of that's kind of what we do you know but uh you know robert cornuke you know he he reads his Bible, you know, looking for, um, you know, he, he's looking at it like a police, uh, looking at someone's testimony, trying to solve a crime and to figure out what really happened. And so you realize there's, there, there's a lot of details in the Bible and it's like they, it was like the writers wanted that audience, you know, who, pro, who the original audience was probably familiar with all these places. He wanted them to know exactly the when and where uh, of, of all these things. So, um, but yeah, so it is, it's just, uh, it's a fascinating thing. The altar of Melchizedek stuff, I think is really cool. And I wanted to read these scriptures to you too, because I was thinking about this uh, when, we, uh, when we were looking, I was looking at all the scriptures um, on the documentary where it talks about these things that are before the Lord, before the tabernacle. And so when you, you know, so just keep this in mind. If somebody is standing before me, it means they're standing in front of me where I'm facing, right? So these things that are before the house of the Lord, they are, you know, probably in, they're in front of the temple. So these things are all east of, of the temple. And in Exodus 34, 23, it says thrice in the year shall all your men, children, appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. Now that was probably, and, and that would have been east of the tabernacle. That would have been east of the temple and they would appear before the Lord because he dwelt in that temple, right? So here's another interesting thing too. Something else that I have learned, I've been learning, I'm finding more and more evidence of this all the time, but the things of the law and of, of the, the temple, these things did not originate with Moses and the children of Israel in the wilderness. They were given to them during that time. The priesthood did not originate 
with the Levites and with Aaron. It was given to the Levites. God uh, just and so just like the kingdom of God and the ministry, it has been commissioned to, you know, us as New Testament Christians today. Um, the things of God before Israel were already around. And I think that altar of Melchizedek, you know, more and more, I think that probably is where Melchizedek, the priest of the most high God, the king of Salem, probably dwell. And this is just, this is my opinion. I'm going to throw this out there. But in Job 1, 6, when it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. I believe even before the law, they had a practice because they had sacrifices before the law. Abel offered a, a, a sacrifice. They had clean and unclean animals before the law. I personally think when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, I think they were doing something similar to what we see in Exodus. I think they were going to a high priest. I think they were going to Melchizedek. I think they were going to Jerusalem, presenting themselves before the Lord. And Satan went, well, that, that's what I, that's what I personally believe. That's super interesting. I, I think what happened in Job, I think happened. Uh, I, I think it probably happened around the altar of Melchizedek. Cause it says before the Lord, just like it says before the Lord and all the sacrifices. How have I never? Wow. Yeah. Cause in the, you know, I used to have the mindset cause everybody always said, you know, yeah, the sons of God, it's like it's angels come to present themselves before the Lord. So you think this is taking place in heaven. Th that's what a lot of people teach. But, you know, that that messes with a lot of theology. But I'm just I'm just pointing this out, too, because it just shows there was a way that people presented themselves before the Lord on earth. And they did it before the temple or they did it before the tabernacle. And, and, and they did it through the priest that was there. And I just, I believe that while God ended up giving that priesthood to the Levites, it was before. And Jesus, because Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You know, Melchizedek, he had neither beginning of days nor end of life. I think there's always been a priesthood. I believe there's still a priesthood. It's just Jesus is the high priest, you know, and he's finished the sacrifices. So there's no more sacrifices anymore. But Melchizedek was, all, these things were going on before God gave these things to Israel. And so, um, but yeah, that's my position. Wow. Uh, that's super interesting. That's in, very interesting. Yeah, yes. I never thought of that. Yeah, so that's wow. just a bonus point for everybody out there. So <laughs> those of you who believe right about the sons of God, you can use that as evidence. Those of you who think the sons of God are angels and all that, I just made your head, head explode with that. But... Um, but your doctrine's still weird, still think I'm right. And it's my opinion that when they present themselves before the Lord, it was in Jerusalem, uh, known as the land of the Jebusites during that time. Uh, but, but known as Salem. I mean, he was literally priest of Salem. Everybody agrees that was in Jerusalem. So, but yeah, huh. but, um, so yeah, well, so, you know, you have any final words for the audience and, and do you have a target release date yet? No, I don't have a target release date, but it is getting closer and closer by the day. So um, it's really going to come down to funding because I have to pay at, you know, for all the stock footage and everything. But at the end end, I have to pay for the sound mix, which costs the most out of everything. So. Uh, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can get some uh, a funders, a producer to come on board to help us uh, be able to secure that. But right now, we're just waiting on me to get the edit done, and then um, we can get it out there. But this film is super important. Not only is this just a really mind-blowing things about the archaeological aspect, about... Uh, uh, Jesus dying on the cross and all that awesomeness. But, you know, why do these things matter is because the Alaska Mosque is one of the most fought over sites in the world. And even right now, uh, 
the everything that's happening in Gaza right now is because of the Alaska Mosque. So that's one of the main reasons stated by Hamas. And they actually called that initial push, that initial bombing, the Hamas called it Operation Alaska Flood. And it's because of all the problems they're having at Alaska, at the mosque there, and how the Jews are taking over the Temple Mount area, that they had that all this is happening. And so uh, this film gets it, it's really important because once you understand that this site is not a holy site, this is the Temple Mount is not a holy site. It is a Roman fortress. Uh, I think it, you know, it changes uh, people's minds on a lot of these issues and it makes it less important. So I, I really hope people check out these, this uh, information, go to framingtheworld.com, support the movie. And uh, yeah, I hope you learned something today. Yeah. yeah. And I'll leave some links uh, where you can donate and stuff in the description. And so, yeah, if you can uh, do anything, I know it'll be a, a help and encouragement. And, you know, even if it's a small donation, you know, it's it's just encouraging to just knowing there's more people out there just wanting this to happen and get behind it. So anything you could do would be uh, a huge blessing. I know I I'm anxious to get this out there. So but uh, that's it for our uh, podcast today. But I appreciate everyone watching this. I hope you'll share this. Uh, get the word out, you know, go share the trailer for the movie. I mean, do whatever we got to do to just uh, get the word out there about it. I think this is going to be seen by a lot of people. And uh, ultimately, it's about Jesus. If they can get anything out of this, it's about the replacement of the temple. It's about Jesus Christ, the better everything. And the work is finished. It's complete. Let's not fight over the land over there. We don't need it. We absolutely don't need it. Everything that land was meant to accomplish was accomplished. And so if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. And so God kept his promise to Israel. And now let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy a new life in Christ. So anyway, thanks again, everyone, for watching this. And we will see you all next time. God bless.